You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk the commodity markets with Darren Newsom, senior analyst from Bar Chart here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to dig into the weather. Teresa Deutschman of DTN Weather is going to join us with a look at what she's expecting to see here in the week ahead. In segment three, we're going to hear from Bill Vertz. He's a senior analyst with the Consumer Choice Center over in Europe. And he's going to fill us in on what happened here over the past couple of weeks in the Netherlands, where agriculture policy was a major contributor in bringing down the Dutch prime minister. And finally, we're going to close the show with Kent Backus, the executive director of government affairs at NCBA. We're going to talk about a House Ways and Means Committee hearing that happened in a feedlot. So stick around. We've got a lot coming on today's program. Before we get to all of that, however, let's take a look at the markets and the grains. We've got corn and wheat looking at some red to start the week. Beans still in the green. Joining us now is Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on again, Mike. One of the headlines I've seen pop up a lot this past weekend, Darren, is the Black Sea grain deal. Rumor is it's dead. Is that right? Well, of course it is. I mean, Russia said it is. So, I mean, we've never known anything coming out of the Kremlin to be, I don't know how to put this, untrue. Um, I mean, let's be honest. We have no idea. And, and, and in the grand scheme of things, does it even matter? This is the, this is the argument that I've posted for, for so long now. I mean, with all of this chatter, endless chatter about, you know, Black Sea, Grain Deal, this, that, and everything else. Does it even matter? Russia has stolen everything that it, anything of value as far as grain goes, anything else along the Black Sea, out of the Black Sea ports. And yes, there were some there were some shipments that were allowed to go. But we have to ask ourselves, what is left? What is left to ship out of the Black Sea ports? Probably nothing. We know Ukraine didn't plant much wheat uh, last you know last fall. It's a winter wheat country. It didn't plant much wheat last fall. So there wasn't going to be much harvest this summer. There's still, you know, there's still bombing and, and missiles and everything else going on. It makes it very difficult to, to farm in that sort of environment. So, I mean, even wheat makes it difficult to even grow wheat in that environment. Um, so, I mean, we know there wasn't, a, there wasn't going to be a huge harvest. There wasn't going to be much shipped. They're still moving some by road and everything else out of, uh, out of other areas of Ukraine. So what possible difference does it make if Russia says, okay, you can you can move some by port, you can move some by ship, even though there's nothing left to ship? And we really don't know what, what Russia is going to do anyway. I mean, they, they could always come in and say, oh, well, we'll we'll change our mind, let you ship anyway. So does it matter? I don't think so. Did the market trade it overnight? It certainly seems like it was driven by headlines. And then, you know, once those got once those were traded and once some cooler heads. Uh, the commercial side jumped back in uh, to start the session uh, here on Monday. You know, things took a bit different tone. So, Darren, I think uh, things always come back to, at the end of the day, fundamentals. I know that's mm -hmm. a new some market rule. Fundamentals win in the end. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, fundamentally, whether or not we have this Black Sea Green deal, the market doesn't seem to think it's impacting the supply of grain to the markets, right? 
No, I mean, if if we go back to last Friday's close in, in the September, December Chicago corn spread, and this is where we get a real a read on real fundamentals, that spread covered 72% calculated full commercial carry, maybe of 75, I don't remember for sure, but it was above 70%. And anything 67% or beyond is, is considered bearish. So now why would the actual fundamental read of the market, the where the commercial traders, the global traders, uh, commercial traders position themselves, why would that be so bearish if all of a sudden the world's going to be banging on the U.S. door? We're going to run out of wheat and all of this nonsense. Why would that be the case? It, it simply isn't. July, Chicago went off the board last Friday, holding uh, covering 112% calculated full commercial carry to the September. This is an incredible number. It tells us we've got plenty of supply of wheat. Nobody is really pushing. We saw, you know, 2021-22, we saw less exports than 2021. Same with 2022-23. And so far in 23-24, we're, we're moving less wheat than what we saw in 2022-23. Uh, there, there's just no demand right now, uh, regardless of what's going on in the Black Sea. And it's a, it's a similar picture for corn, uh, except for the spreads aren't as bearish because we do have a tighter supply uh, here in the old crop. Uh, but even though, you know, looking ahead to new crop and still most are projecting some sort of record production. Darren, while we're thinking about sufficient supply, I'd like to turn our focus to the soybeans. What we've got mm -hmm. you here on the line, we saw the USDA issue that report dropped 4 million acres potentially from planted soybean acreage. Then we saw the WASD report, no change in yield. We've got the markets changing right where they were prior to the report. We seem to have uh, basically not had the last four days of trading in the bean market. Where does it go from here? Yeah, it, it's going to be weather. And so that's why it'll be interesting to see, you know, each week what, what Teresa, Teresa has to say about, you know, it, it's it's all about the weather forecast. And in the soybean market, you know, again, we saw some overnight buying uh, has nothing to do with the Black Sea region. But in the in the case of soybeans, you know, as we look at that six to 10 day forecast, eight to 14 day forecast, it looks a little drier for the U.S. Midwest for the end of July. And so that's what has the market's attention. We know we have tight supplies of U.S. of U.S. soybeans, and we're starting to see crushed demand really pick up. Soybeans rallied overnight, not only on weather forecasts, but we saw big moves in, again in bean oil and soybean meal. Right now, the U.S. is on pace, or at least as of early July, the U.S. was on pace to ship 5% more soybean meal than they were last year at this time. So you know, it's it's important to keep in mind we, we still have some demand for U.S. soybeans. It's not all export. It is starting to come from the crush side, and that's certainly helping provide support to the soybean market itself. Darren, looking out at the livestock market, we've got both live and feeder cattle trading higher on the day. Over the past several months, whenever we've talked about where can cattle go, the answer, it seems, always come back to where's the economy going to go? And it mm -hmm. seems as though we're getting perhaps farther removed from the threat of a recession. Is that how you're reading the broad economic signals? I think so. You know, I know a lot of there was a lot of talk last week about another set of government numbers, and that was both consumer price index and producer price index. And they, you know, again, indicated inflation uh, has was was continuing to cool. So I think the, it's the overall picture that we're getting of the U.S. economy is that it is better than what a lot of folks want to talk about or what a lot of point, folks want to point to. And, you know, we can see this in, in the livestock markets. Now, one concern that I have and, and this may be more seasonal than economic indicator at this point, is the breakdown in boxed beef. It's been under a good deal of pressure here in July. But again, we are past the, 
the the the, you know, the apex of buying for the grilling season uh, here in the U.S. And so it it could start to slow down. I had a I had a friend in the industry in the cattle industry tell me, "Don't be surprised if the cash cattle market." starts to get it gets to be priced higher than boxed beef that to me would be fascinating to see it could certainly happen because this is simply a this is simply a market both cat, both live and feeder cattle that just don't want to go down at this point and if market that can't go down it won't go down and that is the trend we've been watching it will be fascinating to see how long it continues and what sort of market signals come out of it folks we've been talking today with darren newsom senior analyst over at bar chart darren as always thanks for joining us here on aoa Really appreciate you having me on again, Mike. Folks, stick with us. We're going to turn our focus to weather. Teresa Deutschman of DTN Weather will join us right here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up we have some exciting news to share the national corn growers association along with aoa are heading back to washington dc for the monthly grind tune in on tuesday july 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode i'll be broadcasting live from corn congress in washington dc and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead along with current priorities of ncga's market development action team make sure to listen to aoa on tuesday july 18th it's a show you don't want to miss the landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations 
to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As we heard from Darren Newsom there in segment one, the markets are still focused on the weather here. The growing season continues across North America. And, well, joining us now for an update on that forecast is Teresa Deutschman. She's a meteorologist on the DTN weather team. Teresa, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, Teresa, as I think about this past week, I know at the tail end of the week, there were a couple of storms that moved through the central parts of the country. Who saw what over the weekend? And did anybody get hit by severe weather? Yeah, so definitely some people got hit with severe weather uh, here later last week. Um, Just starting on Thursday, uh, here up in Minnesota and the eastern Dakotas, they saw some scattered storms that dropped some one to two inch hail for some of the fields there across these areas. Um, And then on Friday, we watched a pretty decently strong storm complex that swept through Nebraska and Kansas and did see some wind gust reports up to 65 miles per hour and some one to two inch hail as well for them. So uh, definitely some areas of damage there across the central part of the country. Man, that is some impactful weather, but they at least got some moisture out of it, Teresa. Of course, we think of that eastern Nebraska, Kansas, northern Kansas into Missouri region. It has been dry. As you look out over this week ahead, is there the better chance for uh, more moisture across the central parts of the Corn Belt? You know, this week is going to be still a little bit hit or miss for a lot of the central parts of the country. However, I am still seeing a few strong, uh, strong potential for some decent rainfall. Uh, Western Kansas could get in on some of that action here this week as we see some low pressure systems move in from the Rockies and start to sweep east across the plains. Um, Right now, Western Kansas here over the next five days could see some pockets of one to two inches of rain. So definitely beneficial there. And then uh, as we go into the Eastern Corn Belt, They'll stay pretty active this week as there is a trough uh, centered across the Great Lakes and uh, portions of southern Illinois, southern Indiana, southern Ohio could also see some uh, one to two inches of rain this week. All right. Well, that would be good news for those crops growing there in those parts of the field. Tough sledding for those folks in southern and western Kansas still dealing with that slow harvest that's been bogged down by rain. Teresa, we've had a lot of concerns here about uh, moisture over the eastern Corn Belt. Of course, got very dry back in May and June, Indiana, Ohio, those parts of the country. Does it look like they're going to have adequate moisture here over the next couple of weeks? Boy, I don't know. Things are looking pretty hit or miss. I mean, Going into next week, we still have a little bit of trough that'll linger across the eastern U.S., so they'll still have that potential, but really when we're in this summer pattern, it's going to be very hit or miss. So there are going to be some areas that stay completely dry as all the showers move around them, but you know, then other places will still see that you know maybe more beneficial rainfall here 
um, through the end of the month. All right, that's summertime pattern, the haves and the have-nots when it comes to these thunderstorms. Teresa, a challenge that I've heard reported on across the country over the past, well, I, it, it seemed to pop up more this past week, but it's been an issue now for about two months, is the smoke, the wildfire smoke over the United States coming down from the Canadian prairies. What's an update do we have on the, the fires up there? Is there any more moisture in the forecast? Are we going to get rid of this smoke here by the end of summer? Oh man, I, you know, with how widespread they are, I just don't know if it's really going to taper down at all for them. Um, but this week they do have a trough moving through there. Um, could see some scattered rain there for them, but I really don't think it's going to be very widespread. I even looked at, you know, temperature or precipitation anomalies here over the next seven days. We're still seeing uh, near to slightly below normal precip for them over the next week. So um, really not much relief for those wildfires. And then unfortunately, some of that smoke will also try to drift into the northern U.S. here this week. Um, mainly when we start to see that wildfire smoke come into the northern U.S. is when we get that northwest flow. So um, still the potential there for some wildfire smoke for the northern uh, northern U.S. folks. And uh, we'll, we'll have to watch for those sensitive groups too as, as that air quality diminishes a little bit at times. Absolutely. I mean, when these smoke bands settle in somewhere, I mean, it it can be uh, kind of suffocating, I suppose, especially for those with breathing issues. Teresa, you mentioned the northern parts of the U.S. Is this the Central Plains, Minnesota region you're looking at, or is this smoke? Could it extend all the way through the through New England? Um, it very well could extend from the northern plains through New England this week. So um, we've just got those that northwest flow that'll that'll wrap around. So um, really, just that that northeast U.S. is going to be uh, in it this week, as well as the upper Midwest and northern plains. All right, Teresa. Well, of course, the meteorology business is all about tracking changes in the atmosphere, the, the smaller changes that impact weather day to day, but of course, the bigger changes that impact things longer term. And one of those big ones, El Nino, El Nino, La Nina, we're moving into an El Nino situation. Are we in it yet, Teresa? Yes, we are still in El Nino, and we're actually um, starting to see some models trending towards an even stronger El Nino here as we head into the fall. Um, really, we're watching those temperatures in off the coast of Northwest South America. And right now, some models are starting to hint at those temperatures really starting to get their warmest here as we head into the fall. So, um, could see some, you know, above normal temperatures there in the oceans. And then um, right now we're starting to see a little bit of a downward trend for those ocean temperatures as we head into January of 2024. All right, Teresa. So with those waters currently warmer than average, that El Nino set up in place, what does that mean for instance, the Northern Plains, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, should they expect much of a forecast shift as we get deeper into an El Nino environment? Yeah, so 
I do think, you know, with this stronger El Nino is going to, you know, focus those warmer temperatures there across, you know, the northern Rockies, north central U.S., so into the northern plains, upper Midwest. And then we could also see the potential for a little bit of those drier conditions start to form across the Ohio Valley and the eastern Corn Belt. So we'll have to keep an eye on that here as, as we watch these jet streams kind of shift a little bit. Uh, with these El Nino conditions. Teresa, that is concerning. Dryness could develop over the Ohio River Basin, Eastern Corn Belt. Given where we are right now in the El Nino, and I imagine every single one is different, when would you expect that dryness risk to develop here for the Eastern Corn Belt? Would it be late this summer or would it be over the wintertime? Um, generally right now, as things stand, I would say it would go into the fall. So you know, things, they'll still see maybe some periodic rain showers here as we go through, you know, the end of July into August, but it's more in the September, October, maybe even to those early winter months too, that they'll start to dry out a little bit. So it'll be mainly, you know, after they're done with their growing season and then um, into this winter. All right. Could be giving us some market headlines here to start off the 2024 season. Teresa, there has been strange weather all around the globe this past season. Of course, we talked about the impact on some of the dryness down in Argentina earlier this year. I understand China has had some volatile weather. And lately, it seems as though we're getting headlines out of Europe about a heat wave across that continent. Is that something you've been keeping an eye on, Teresa? Can you fill us in on what they're looking at over in Europe? Yeah, yeah. So we have been watching those above normal temperatures persist in Southern Europe here uh, all of last week. And then they are also forecasted to persist into this week as well. Um, looking at temperatures right now, even today, um, six to eight to even maybe some pockets up to 10 degrees Celsius warmer than normal. So now Teresa, um, I've got to stop you there. 10 degrees Celsius. What does that mean here in America? How many is that in degrees? Yeah. So if we're converting to Fahrenheit, so that would be um, roughly around eight degrees Fahrenheit. So, okay. So it is, yeah. it is warmer than average up there. And I understand triple digit temperatures. Is that right? In some places in Southern Europe? Yeah. Yeah. That is possible. You know, they're going to be, you know, they're not obviously going to get quite as warm as we do here in like the Southern U S this week where they're going to see temperatures, you know, 110 degrees Fahrenheit, but still looking at the nineties in Southern Europe, that is definitely above normal for them. It is, but that is a great point. It, it could be 115 in Las Vegas this week. It definitely gets a little hotter down in our parts of the world. That is true folks. We have been talking today with Teresa Deutschman. She's a meteorologist on the DTN weather team. Teresa, thanks so much for filling us in on what to expect here in the week ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Folks, stick with us. We're going to get an update on what's happening over in Europe, this time on the political side. Bill Vert, senior analyst at the Consumer Choice Center, will be joining us. We're going to talk about the fall of, of uh, Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Rutte. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Russia has formally suspended the participation in the Ukraine grain initiative that was set to expire today. Hopes for an extension now appear to be evaporating, although attempts to revive it do continue. The agreement facilitated shipments of 33 million metric tons of commodities over the past year, mostly corn and wheat. Russia left the door open for returning to the grain agreement if all of its demands were met, but that does not appear likely at this time. Ukraine has previously said that it expects talks to take place in Turkey between President Erdogan and Russian President Putin next month, with little grain moving through the safe corridor in the meantime. Ukraine has also previously stated that it does have a plan B that it's prepared to move forward with if those talks in August fail. Now, the plan B would involve continuing the initiative without the participation of Russia. The big question, though, is will Russia allow that to happen? Now, we can look for Ukraine to continue to move about 2 to 3 million metric tons per month through other routes, but the opportunities to move more grain than that onto the export market appear to be limited in the near term. USDA is also scheduled to release its weekly crop progress reports this afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time. Look for corn condition ratings to rise again this week, although maybe not as much as they did last week. We can expect to see soybeans continue to rise as well, but at a slower pace. The majority of the egg belt is expected to see slightly below normal temps over the coming week, which favors crop development, but then things warm up somewhat next week. Scattered thunderstorm chances will continue to provide moisture to those areas who are fortunate enough to be in the path, while the chances diminish as we go into next week. General thinking, though, continues to be that August will be cool across the bulk of the grain belt, which is good for grain fill, but confidence in forecasts that far out is low. The VIX is trading around 14 this morning, while the dollar index is bouncing with treasury yields and crude oil prices are continuing to pull back after failing to take out last week's 200-day moving average. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to turn our focus next to the world of ag policy. Not ag policy in the United States, which, of course, we spend a lot of time talking about here on this program. And occasionally, I get emails from people. Hey, Mike, why do you talk so much about such a boring topic like agriculture policy? And the reason is because it can have ramifications. This was recently brought to the fore over in the Netherlands. Last week, the Dutch prime minister stepped down after a collapse of their government. And the the reason for the collapse last week was due to a, a hardline immigration issue. But it really started with their farm policies last year created some weakness for the ruling party. Joining us now to fill us in on the situation in the Netherlands specific and Europe more broadly is Bill Wertz. He is the senior policy analyst with the Consumer Choice Center, currently talking to us from Amsterdam. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back, Mike. Mark Rutte, Danish prime minister, resigned last week. It was shocking. Bill, how did ag policy have an impact on this government collapse in the Netherlands? So the Dutch government decided to cut nitrogen emissions by half until 2030, and they had only a couple of ways to do it. Uh, One of them would have been to just halt all construction, and that was not going to happen. Another one would have been to halt all the airplanes, and that was not going to happen. So they decided that they are going to buy out livestock farmers. So they want to reduce until 2030 uh, by about a third uh, the entire livestock farming uh, industry in the Netherlands um, and by buying farmers out. And they've set aside $27 billion uh, in order to, to buy farmers out. And, you know, I, I know many of your listeners will know last year that led to significant protests by farmers because they said, no, we just want to go about our business. Absolutely. I mean, we saw the the manure being flown on people's homes, highways being blocked. And Bill, did that create any sort of political pushback inside the Netherlands? So, yes. And the interesting thing is that uh, Dutch voters actually responded uh, very positively towards those protests, uh, showing their sympathies towards the cause of the farmers uh, by voting also for a new party, which is the Farmer Citizen Movement, known as BBB. Uh, and they ended up winning the uh, provincial elections, which determines the Senate in the Netherlands. So the largest political party in the Dutch Senate right now is a farmers party. Uh, and they want to have a say now on those nitrogen emissions. Bill, that seems really surprising to me that the largest party in a country like the Netherlands is a farming party. How big is agriculture in the Netherlands? Is it a substantial part of GDP in that country? Well, it's a substantial part of GDP, but it's also just on the symbolic level. If you know, if you think of Dutch agricultural products, you're thinking of uh, of cheese, uh, of all these of all these products that uh, that people are familiar with. Um, but I think it's also just based on the principle of the thing, uh, the way that farmers have been treated by the government. Uh, you know, they were just essentially presented with the facts, like, oh yeah, you're going to give up your um, your, your 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 life's work. Uh, your family might have been in this industry, but actually you're polluting too much, and and now we're gonna we're gonna get rid of you. I think the entire approach 
backfired on this government. And now BBB said, we're not going to support any government in upcoming elections that includes the Prime Minister Mark Ritter. And that's why he retired completely from politics. It just, it just really shows you that if farmers get active, they can have a significant impact on politics. Absolutely. That is stunning. So I hadn't realized that the the reason for his not leading the government any further was their refusal to participate in it with him. That's what happened. Yeah, exactly. They said, no, we will not support a single government that includes him. They made clear demands, even though, I mean, right now we only have polling numbers, but they polled so high for the upcoming election, which you know was initially supposed to be early next year, but now will actually happen even sooner in, in autumn. Um, that, you know, basically he said, OK, I have no future in politics uh, unless I have the support of the farmers. So, Bill, he is out. Those uh, initial proposals by the Dutch government, however, are still there. The livestock buyout plan, as I understand, is still at least floating around there at the Dutch government levels. If BBB does perform as well in the election, can they scrap these things or is it more modifying the goals of uh, these livestock removal type programs? So they've been very clear that they're not going to accept any of the proposals that are currently on the table. Now, how exactly they will manage this in, in terms of a coalition? Because, I mean, that's one of the problems, right? I mean, if you're a farmer's party, making coalitions is not just about agricultural policy. Now you have to have positions on all types of other things and what are you willing to make concessions on? So it's really after the next election that we're going to see any movement on this, on this policy file. Uh, and up until then, the current caretaker government uh, has promised not to make any new changes. So negotiations really on ice until until uh, until the end of the year. Wow. And this is coming from just one year ago, farmer protests in the streets as these announcements about buyouts were being rolled out. Bill, this leads me to my next question. If we can scope out a little bit more and look at all of Europe, it sure sounds as though there's more pushback growing against some of the conservation, the nature laws that are developing there in the EU. Can you fill us in on, on what's happening on the ground? So yesterday in the European Parliament, there was a vote on the nature restoration law. So this law tries to essentially uh, recover degraded ecosystems, what they call it, by 2050. Uh, and it wants to affect 20% of those systems. So what, it, what, what the farmers' representatives say about this law is that it essentially limits by how far you could potentially expand in, in your farm. And that's why they've opposed it. And it was supposed to be a done deal up until, you know, just a couple of months ago, uh, when the European People's Party is sort of the strongest party in the European Parliament in the EU, uh, which is, you know, more the center-right spectrum, so suddenly realized, if we don't listen to the farmers on this, the farmers will overtake us uh, in other countries as well, not just in the Netherlands. And so they, they've decided to oppose this law. Um, it passed very narrowly by just 10 votes yesterday, but there will be a second reading uh, and there will be very long negotiations now. And this has really put uh, a lot of these agricultural files, which you know are very niche for a lot of the media outlets and the policy advisors, suddenly on top of the agenda uh, of the political movings within the EU. It is fascinating to see farmers being uh, first sought out for interviews on important political topics like this. Bill, given the nature uh, restoration law, that NRL that is under discussion, what's the timeline look like for that in the European Parliament? Is it would you expect to see it passed in 2024 if things start going, if the wind picks up at its back? 
So most likely not, because there have to be negotiations between all the different institutions and governments. And we do have elections in the EU uh, early next year. And so usually just a couple of months before that election, not much happens. So this is really a determining factor, what the next election will look like, how many farmers parties and how will participate and how much those farmers will influence the existing parties. And I think agriculture agricultural policy will look very different in the next mandate with the next European Commission. We'll have a lot of policy shifts. uh, And I think ultimately that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Bill, are you hearing new ideas come up with regard to advancing environmental or sustainability goals? Or are we still talking in the same framework of we need to limit emissions by limiting production? So yeah, so it's one part. It's it's actually interesting. So we have we have laws such as the, the sustainable use of pesticide reduction um, uh, law that regulation tries to you ban you know about half of all the pesticides that can be used in Europe, and it's, it is quite extreme and is also you know opposed by by the farmers and now opposed increasingly in in the European Parliament. However, on the other side, you also have the EU. Uh, now, you know, just legalizing a new genomic techniques, what we call them gene editing techniques, which used to be illegal in the European Union for, for decades. And now suddenly there's a reversal because they see the, the improvements on not just yields, but also the sustainability uh, impacts of it. So you get a bit of both in the EU. It's not really coherent. Um, and, and I think this is because just politically, a lot of the political parties are suddenly waking up to this issue and trying to figure out what exactly they want to do about farming policy. It is going to be fascinating to watch this unfurl over the coming years. Uh, Bill, of course, American agriculture, European agriculture, were very different. We don't always see eye to eye on a number of issues, GM technology, GE technology, one of those issues. But within Europe, as these environmental laws are coming out, are you seeing farmer groups from different countries work together? Is the BBB and the Netherlands working with farmer groups in the France to try to advance sort of comprehensive goals? I think the most fascinating thing was that yesterday when this vote took place in Strasbourg, France, which is where the European Parliament is based, the European the European Farmers Association got farmers together from all over Europe to protest in front of the Parliament. Um, and, and that is something you, you also very rarely see because you suddenly have people protesting together that often don't even speak each other's language, but they come together for this cause of opposing this law. So I, I think for the for, it's very rare for us in Europe to see this kind of like coherence and um, standing together as farmer representatives. Uh, and, and I think, you know, while this might be positive, I think the reason of where it's coming from is because a lot of this legislation has never taken farmers into account. It's sort of ignored the, the issues of farmers and sort of legislated more ideologically than practically. And I think that's where farmer representatives are more active than ever. Than ever. I think you're right, Bill. We hear similar concerns in this country. And I'm wondering, in Europe, are other industry groups joining the farmer side, construction or development, those type of groups? So I don't see that convergence just happening yet. Uh, All industry groups are definitely affected by, you know, this big roadmap of the European Green Deal. But there hasn't been that level of collaboration. But uh, we'll see. I mean, the next next year's election will really define where we're taking this. And if the, the rules are getting even stricter, I think that might actually happen. Lots to watch here in Europe, of course, as they potentially chart a new course going forward. Bill Vertz is who we're talking with now. He's the senior policy analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Bill, you write about these issues a lot. Where can folks go to keep up on your writings? Or they can follow me on Twitter at WirtzBill, so that's W-I-R-T-Z Bill. uh, And they can also find all of my writing on ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. 
Folks, check that out. The things that come from Europe, the things that come from other places in the world definitely can drive home and impact our bottom line here in the United States. Big thanks to our friend Bill Vert, Senior Policy Analyst at Consumer Choice Center. Bill, thanks for filling us in on what's happening on the ground in Europe. Thanks for having me. Leave it right here. More AOA coming up when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van 
to patriotic hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. At the Veterans Health Administration, we provide life-changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It seems like almost every week on AOA, we're talking to people involved in agriculture out in the middle part of the country who travel to Washington, D.C. to present their case. What are we looking for out in Washington? Well, now we're going to talk about something going the other direction. D.C. politicians came out to rural Minnesota for a committee hearing this past week. Joining us now to fill us in on what and why happened up in Minnesota is Kent Backus. He's the executive director of government affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Kent, past president of NCBA, had the House Ways and Means Committee on his farm. Why? Uh, you know, I think it was, uh, it was a good opportunity. You know, Don Schiefelbein's our past president. He's uh, there in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, the Ways and Means Committee, is they're, they're taking this show on the road. They're going out to the countryside, going out to meet with people to talk not only about uh you know, just policies that they have in mind, but trying to get some response about how some of these policies impact the daily lives of Americans. Uh, you know, so many times here in Washington, we get that beltway mentality. It's really hard to, to break out of that. So this is uh, really, it's, it's a refreshing view of Congress reminding itself that, you know, they answer to the people. So, you know, Chairman uh, Jason Smith from uh, Missouri, uh, he is a he is probably one of the hardest working members of Congress. I mean, the, the man, I don't know when he sleeps, but, uh, you know, he took over the reins of the Ways and Means Committee a few months ago. And that was one of the first action items he said was we're going to start holding more of these hearings, not in the big, you know, you know, luxurious, uh, you know, uh, committee room here in Washington. Uh, but we're going to go to the people. We're going to go meet in, uh, in uh, you know, 
factories. We're going to go to uh, some of the, the peers. We're going to go to farms. And we're going to talk to people about tax issues, about healthcare issues, and about trade. So this latest hearing was about international trade and specific to agricultural policies and, uh, and agricultural trade. Um, you know, so there was a lot of questions that really focused on uh, how some of the trade policies of recent administrations impacted producers. And then you, you also have a lot of uh, criticism, honestly, about the Biden administration's lack of engagement. So this was uh, an opportunity for, uh, you know, you had, you had uh, representatives from the, the cattle sector, from the dairy sector, uh, Farm Bureau, Farmers Union had people there. Uh, you had some of the row crop folks. You even had uh, somebody there that represents uh, some some critical mineral resources and some, some of the mining industry. So it was really just an opportunity to have direct conversations with these folks who who work uh, on a daily basis in these fields and to ask them how these policies impact them. And it was about three hours long and it was uh, very educational for a lot of those members of Congress. I can imagine. It was interesting to see just the change in perspective. Ordinarily, if you're watching C-SPAN views of congressional hearings, it's a shot of empty room, people milling about. And here the view was of a feedlot, ordinarily full of black cattle. Now it had black SUVs in it as these uh, these delegates were getting unloaded. Kent, you mentioned trade was a focus, and that's a comment we've heard from so many commodity groups. There has not been a lot of action from this administration on new trade deals. They've put a lot of their eggs on the Indo-Pacific Partnership. Kent, I understand we've got some movement there. Can you fill us in? So the, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, because we can't call these things trade agreements anymore. So this this framework that the Biden administration has been pushing, is it's, all, it's very similar to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but they've taken tariffs off the table. So they're trying to look at some of the non-tariff barriers, the technical barriers, and uh, they've kind of expanded the uh, the net, so to speak, to uh, include a lot of other countries who weren't part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But really, uh, it's it's a, it's a big concept to try to have uh, other countries join the United States in addressing uh, worker uh, you know, workers' issues, uh, so labor issues, environmental issues, human rights issues, and a lot of trade issues and supply chain issues that go with that. Uh, but they've, they've left trade, or I'm sorry, uh, tariff reform, you know, which is a significant factor. They've left that off the table entirely. So uh, this is a this is something the Biden administration launched uh, about a year or so ago, and so now they're in that negotiation phase. They've had some meetings. They were just in Korea, uh, just wrapped that up, um, and so you know the administration is saying they want to have this thing fully negotiated by the end of the year. They want to be able to move forward. Uh, they're introduce, introducing new concepts like sustainability into uh, this framework. And so, you know, we're curious to know more about what that actually means. It's one thing to have a concept. It's one thing to, to have a general agreement among partners. But the big question is what, uh, you know, what details are going to come out of this and where's the devil in all of those? The other part is how are you going to enforce it if you don't have some kind of tariff relief that's included? Uh, so you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. We, you know, we're, we're glad that they're engaging, but let's engage on something that has deliverables for U.S. farmers and ranchers. Yeah, it has been three years, I believe, since we've seen a new free trade agreement signed. It's nice to see some movement here, but 
goodness, it'd be nice to see that movement impact Americans' bottom lines. Kent, while we're thinking about the details and getting things worked out, of course, cattle producers are doing that, I understand, next week at the NCBA summer business meeting? That's exactly right. So, you know, NCBA, we have multiple meetings throughout the year. We have, we have our big annual conference, which is usually end of January, beginning of February. But this is our summer business meeting. And this is where a lot of our policy discussions uh, go in depth. And this is where our policies are set for the next year. So, you know, our policies expire every five years. They are set by our grassroots, which means they start at the local level, come all the way up to the national level. And this is the big, uh, the big event that does all of that. So we're going to dive into trade policy, tax policy, uh, a lot of issues with public lands, with uh, uh, the environment. Uh, and a lot of things that are going to be farm bill related too. So, you know, for our members, for all of our affiliates that are coming in to San Diego uh, this next week, we're going to focus heavily on addressing all of that. And so when people want to know more about what NCBA does, this is where that grassroots policy is set. That's where it happens, folks. Check out the website, ncba.org, for more information. We've been talking with Kent Backus, Executive Director of Government Affairs, and catch us tomorrow from D.C. with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. What's your favorite talk show? Where do you hear music that transports you to another time? In an emergency, where do you turn for the most up-to-date information? Well, 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping the public safe in dangerous times. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why, and you could win $500. It's that easy. Visit whyilisten.com today. That's whyilisten.com. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.